you here today. Well, today's passage shines a spotlight on uh, a troubling reality in this life, namely, innocent suffering, innocent suffering. Now, there's a sense in which none of us are 100% completely innocent, but there is a type of suffering that we have not brought upon ourselves. We're not suffering because of our bad decisions, our sinful behavior. We're not suffering because we're reaping what we've sown. Sometimes we suffer because of, of influences that are far beyond our control. And we can make a long list, right? Think about kids that are born with uh, special needs that that, uh, require the care of their parents or others their entire lives. Think about people who experience illnesses and accidents that leave them um, with severe limitations. Think about billions and billions of people that are born all over the world into poverty, abject poverty without clean water, without basic medical care, without opportunities to work. Think about uh, people living in Ukraine right now. Can you imagine living in a war zone? Perhaps some of you can. Perhaps some of you have. Think about Turkey and Syria, the, the earthquakes there. I mean, the list can go on and on. And we see these things around the world. And we experience these things ourselves, this innocent suffering. Now we wonder, does God see? Does God care? Does God have a plan? Does God have a remedy? Is there any plan to make all things new, to right all these wrongs, to to remake the world as it should be? Well, it turns out there is a plan, and Scripture talks about it often. One, One Scripture, for example, is in Isaiah 35 And there we read that one day all creation will be remade and physical maladies will be reversed. Listen to a couple verses. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. In today's passage, we find a very direct reference to verse 6 of Isaiah 35. Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. It was about the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, and there was a man there. We learn later he's 40 years old, and every every day his friends, family would come and lay them there, and he would ask alms. He would ask for the generosity of those that came to the temple to worship. He He had suffered innocently for 40 years. And Peter and John come by, and he asked them for alms. Instead of taking a few coins and dropping it into his hand or into his basket, they stopped, and they looked at him. And you get the impression he didn't look at people when they came by, but they said, look at me. And he looked at them, and they made eye contact, and Peter spoke. He said, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And we read, and he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, catch that? Leaping up. 
he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And so here you have a lame man leaping for joy, and he's rejoicing. That indicates the Messiah had come. He's starting the takeover. He's starting this remedy to right everything that is wrong. And naturally, this crowd of people gathered around Peter and John and this man, and they wanted an explanation. And so with the crowd gathered around, Peter explains the miracle that he had just performed. And he explained that the miracle was a sign that pointed to the remedy for the entire world and anybody in it who is willing to receive it. The same Jesus that had restored that man would one day, as we'll read, restore all things. And so please listen carefully with me to to Peter's sermon because it has very clear implications for us, both in time and eternity. Peter very masterfully very, very, very nuanced way shows us that Jesus is the remedy for all the suffering that we experience in this world. Not only the innocent suffering that we experience and those that we love experience, but also for the suffering that we bring upon ourselves because of our own foolishness, our own sinfulness. And so Peter explains, or Peter, Peter challenges us to understand our rebellion against God, and then he, he invites us, commands us actually to receive God's grace. <clears throat> First of all, verses 11 through 16, he says, understand the rebellion of humanity. We'll see where he says, you killed the author of life. What, what a statement. You killed the author of life. Well, the first thing Peter wanted them to understand is, is who had actually performed the miracle. Verse 11, he says, while he clung, the man who was formerly lame, he said, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the men of Israel, he, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us, and then I love the way he says it, as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. If you ever do anything uh, on behalf of God, if God ever uses you in somebody else's life, it is not your power, it is not your piety, right? You would never claim that. I wouldn't. Then Peter says, it's not us. He's going to go down in verse 16. He's going to say, it's Jesus' power. It's his name. It's his authority. But before he gets there, he says, I need to explain to you some things about Jesus. You need to understand who Jesus is and how you've treated him. He's going to give us some really bad news. And it's going to go from bad to worse to worser, okay? It's going to get get bad. But they had to know this. He says in verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified his servant Jesus. Very few times in the New Testament or in the Bible is anybody called God's servant. And when it is, I think it's almost every single time it's referring to the Messiah. And this is a reference to Isaiah 52 and 53, the suffering servant of the Lord, the one who is pierced through for our transgressions. And so Peter says, 
that, that the God of our fathers glorified this servant. And we know that's by raising him from the dead and enthroning him at his right hand. But then he says this, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And so he's saying, you're worse than Pilate. Pilate was a non-Jewish. He was a Gentile Roman governor. And you read in, in Luke 23, three times he says, this man is innocent. This man has done nothing deserving of death. My recommendation is that we release him. But you demanded, no, he must be punished. And so you're worse than Pilate. The news gets worse, verse 14. <clears throat> but you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. They preferred that a murderer, Barabbas, be released instead of Jesus, the most innocent person who had ever lived on the planet. He continues, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And Peter calls Jesus the author of life for many reasons. Jesus is the one that, that uh, created life. Jesus is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He said to, to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the one who gives eternal life to people on the basis of his death and resurrection. Peter tells him, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. So your verdict was guilty, but God raised him from the dead, reversing that verdict, vindicating him, and saying Jesus was actually innocent. And Peter adds, to this we are witnesses. Remember, Jesus had told Peter, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to give this firsthand account beginning in Jerusalem, and it's, it's happening right here. We get to verse 16, and Peter closes the loop concerning the power that had healed the man. He says, in his name, talking about Jesus' name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And so Peter did not heal this man in his own power, his own name, his own authority. Rather, he had healed the man in the name of Jesus. Jesus had made this man strong. And then in the second half of the verse, Peter says that the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health. And so Peter definitely had faith in Jesus. He believed Jesus could heal this man. But there's also the implication that, that he drew faith out of that man when he commanded him, rise up and walk. And he extended his hand. The man had faith. And he was healed. And so do you see what Peter's done here? He brought this crowd face to face with their own rebellion against God. They needed to understand that, that when they demanded that Jesus be crucified, they got it exactly wrong. They were worse than Pilate. They wanted a murderer. They killed the author of life. God, they were opposed to God, and so they weren't just on the wrong side of history. They were on the wrong side of eternity. And please understand that Peter wasn't being mean when he told them this. He wasn't, he wasn't just trying to, to make them feel bad. He wanted to convict them of their sin because until they realized how guilty they were, they wouldn't be open. Their hearts wouldn't be in a condition where they could receive the grace that God wanted to, to give them. They wouldn't acknowledge that they needed forgiveness until they understood that they were guilty. And so Peter wants to, he's leading them to this place where they, they will say to Jesus, 
We are guilty, we have no defense, and we have no way to remove our guilt. We cannot remove our sin. And so, God, would you please do for us what we can't do for ourselves? And there's the same dynamic here at play in this room. Unless we understand the depth of our sin, we will not repent. A shallow conviction of sin will not lead to genuine repentance, and we will miss the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. And I don't know how you think about your life. I don't know how you think about your sinfulness. I think some people have have just a a very strong uh, sense of, of their personal culpability for the things they've done, and other people are like, what? I wasn't there. I didn't crucify Jesus. I mean, nobody's perfect, but I'm not as bad as those people. Well, I would, I would just point out, as a matter of fact, you and I don't know what we would do if we had been there. We don't know if we would have been shouting along with the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. We'd rather have a murderer than Jesus. We don't know that. Or maybe we were just like Peter and the apostles. Maybe we just denied Jesus and abandoned him in his time of greatest need. And so we don't know. But whatever the case, what Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8 is true of us. There he wrote, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so uh, if you're not a follower of Christ yet, First of all, we are so glad that you're here. It it takes courage sometimes to wander into a church Sunday morning, all these people. We're so glad you're here. I would encourage you not to shy away from understanding the depth of your sinfulness. Okay? Don't shy away from this. You might have people in your life that tell you, don't worry about it. Nobody's perfect. I think we can all agree on that, okay? Nobody's perfect. But that is not the issue. The issue is that we have all sinned by nature and by choice. And we may not have shaken our fist at God and said, I hate you and everything you want from me. But we've sinned by the things we've done and said and thought. Our selfishness comes out in just extraordinary ways. And so we have to come clean. We have to admit that. If you're already a follower of Christ, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes, But if you're already a follower of Christ, I would urge you not to shy away from remembering when you were an enemy of God. Don't shy away from from remembering who you were and what you were. When I think about back to who I was before Christ, I mean, I I was kind of a good church kid and, you know, kind of people respected me. I had this good reputation, but I know my heart. I used people. I absolutely used people. And when I think about some of the things I did, it's just, it's just staggering. And yet, God forgave me. And so don't forget who you were, that you were an enemy of God. It can keep you humble. It can keep you thankful to God. And so understand your rebellion. But second, Peter says, receive God's grace. Receive the grace that he offers. In the beginning of verse 17, Peter kind of changes his tone. It's really interesting. He wants, them, he, wants, uh, he, he wants them to be very clear that God's grace is available to you no matter what. Nobody is beyond the reach of God's grace. And then here he says, this, I find this kind of 
humorous in a, in a way. He says, and now, brothers, I want you to know that you acted in ignorance, as did your fathers also. Sometimes, most of the time when you're told you were ignorant, that's not good news. But in this case, it is. It's good news. You didn't know what you were doing. You, you were just oblivious that you were, you were about to crucify the Son of God. And so uh, their ignorance didn't disqualify them. Paul talked about his ignorance in uh, 1 Timothy 1.13. He said that uh, I, was a pers- I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And so our ignorance does not disqualify us. And chances are that you can think of ways that you are or were ignorant about God, about Jesus, about what he wants for your life. Again, I can remember waxing eloquent about things that I was just just, I, I, I can't tell you how ignorant and stupid I was on these things. I was very confident about what I said. But it's not a disqualifier. Verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Read the second half of, uh, of uh, the, the book of Luke. We're actually going to read Luke this uh, Advent season. We've got this this. Uh, devotional guide. Now, what you'll find in the second half of Luke's, it's, we're told over and over that Jesus had to die. He had to suffer. He have to be, had to be rejected. He had to be crucified and then risen from the dead. It was a divine imperative. And so the murderous, ignorant rebellion of the Jewish nation did not thwart the mission of the Messiah. In the sovereignty of God, their rebellion actually moved his mission forward. And Peter has spoken of faith in Jesus' name in verse 16, but beginning in verse 19, he speaks of repentance, and that's the other side of the coin. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. And he says, repent. It's a command. He wanted this for them, and so he commanded them, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And so to repent means to, to change directions, to turn from your sin and to turn back to God. And repentance is a gift when you think about it. God didn't have to offer us repentance. It could have been one strike and you're out, okay? But God says, no, 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 in my grace, if you will just repent and turn back to me, you notice what he says there, that your sins may be blotted out, and the promise is that if you repent and turn back to God in faith, your sin will be completely removed. It will be permanently gone. The death of Christ paid for your past, your present, and your future sins. And in the first half of verse 20, Peter speaks about what awaits those whose sins are forgiven. This is what you will experience. He says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you put your faith in Christ, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and that Spirit Spirit gives you these times of refreshing in the presence of God. And, And we're living in a day, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes, we wait for Christ to return, and we wait for all the suffering to to be obliterated. We wait for every tear to be wiped from our eyes. But until that day, the Spirit refreshes us. He gives us seasons of relief from all the suffering and the heartache of this world. 
And it comes, this refreshing comes in, in, it doesn't come in a vacuum, but it comes as we pursue the things we talked about last week. We devote ourselves to the word, to one another. We devote ourselves to prayer. And then the second half of verse 20, Peter assures them that one day God would send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. In other words, Jesus, whom you crucified, he will one day return. And notice what happens, verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And so we're living in a time where Jesus is in heaven, where he will remain. We saw that in Acts chapter 1. He will remain there until the time for restoring all things. This is the remedy. This is the remedy for innocent suffering. This is the remedy for guilty suffering. The restoration of the entire created order is Jesus' final remedy for everything that's wrong in this world. But what specifically is he talking about here? The restoration of all things could mean many things, and it does. But what specifically did Peter have in mind? It's interesting. If you read the Bible and notice the details, you find these, these incredible clues everywhere. One, the clue we find here is in the very next chapter in Acts 4, verse 2. We have, we have how the crowd understood, how the Jewish authorities understood Jesus, Peter's reference to the restoration of all things. There we're told that the reason the Jewish authorities arrested Peter was because in this sermon he was proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And think about what had happened. Here you have the author of life who had been killed, whom God had raised from the dead, the author of life. He had the power to heal a lame man. He had a power to restore that man to, quote-unquote, perfect health. The one with that power and that authority also has the power to raise the dead, to raise the dead immortal. The Hebrew prophet spoke about this in, in numerous places. It's not as specific and articulate as the New Testament, but you find it. For example, in Daniel 12, 2, we read, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Isaiah 25.8 says that God will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Isaiah 65 and 66 speak of God creating new heaven and a new earth without death or disease. And so Peter stood up in front of the crowd, and he declared that when Jesus returns, he will bring about this restoration of all things, including the resurrection from the dead. We're going to talk about it. You have to opt in by repentance and faith if you want to be among those who are raised immortal. But in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's, it's the most extensive passage about the resurrection body of believers. But we're told in the New Testament, it's very consistent that when Christ returns, if you are in Christ, your salvation will extend even to your body your body will be redeemed. And so you'll have a body just like Jesus' resurrection body. 
you will be raised immortal. You will be raised imperishable. In other words, there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more decay. We don't understand all we want to know about it, but the limitations of this life will somehow be reversed. And we will be given bodies that are uniquely suited to dwelling in the presence of God in the new heaven and the new earth. And so if you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've never come clean and you've never said, God, I just admit that I'm guilty before you. I have sinned and I have rebelled against you in ways I can't even, I can't even remember. But God, I'm sinful and I repent. I turn back to you. I believe Jesus died for my sins and so forgive me for my sins. He will not only forgive you in this life. He will not only give you times of refreshing in this life. You can look forward to a, new, to a resurrected body in the new heaven and the new earth. Again, I would, I would just plead with you, why would you not want that? Receive the grace of God. Let him give you this gift, this unfathomable gift that you don't deserve, that you cannot earn. Receive it. Receive it. And if you're already a follower of Christ, uh, I would just remind you that this life is full of trouble. It's full of, it's full of suffering, innocent suffering and guilty suffering. But we're told in Peter, years later, he wrote this, 1 Peter 1.13. He said, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So whether you are young or old, whether you're in the prime of life or your finish line is very likely, very close, whether your body and your mind are strong and you feel invincible or you're feeling the weakness of your body and you know that you are not long for this world, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the remedy. That's what we long for. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And until that day, live a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of repentance. When you first repent and put your faith in Christ, you, you are forgiven. But we still continue to sin. And when their sin becomes obvious, we need to turn from our sin and turn back to God in faith for a fresh cleansing from his Holy Spirit. And that's when these times of refreshing come upon us. And so pursue a lifestyle of repentance. I was talking with a friend this, this past week, and he was, he was just telling me something he had realized. He said, I've, I've got this, I've, I've had this insecurity my entire life. As, far as, as long as I can remember, I felt like I'm not worthy, I'm not enough. And he, he is very devoted to God, and God uses him in people's lives in amazing ways. But what he realized is that beneath his insecurity, he tells me, is pride. He said, I've been believing, I've been thinking that I know better than God his will for my life. I know better than God what I'm capable of doing. And he says, just pride, pure and simple. Did I say to him, hey, don't be so hard on yourself? No, I didn't say that. I said, I love that you're, you're pressing into this. 
And you're letting God open your eyes to your pride so that you can turn from it and turn back to him and experience these times of refreshing that come only for the Lord. That's what I want for me. I'm pressing into the Psalms right now. In Psalm 38, read Psalm 38. Just amazing the way David describes his sin and the bodily effects of his sin. I want times of refreshing. I want times of refreshing for all of us. That's why we're doing this season of seeking. You're busy people. This is not busy work. Hey, will you shoehorn one more thing into your already busy schedule? Now, we're encouraging you seek the Lord with us. We're going to start on Wednesday. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be starting in Luke chapter 1 on Wednesday. We'll read the last chapter, Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24 on Easter morning on April the 9th. And we have these, these brief devotions every day. And every Thursday, there's a devotion on repentance. We want to establish a lifestyle of repentance here at Faith. So there'll be a scripture, and then there'll be a, just a brief meditation pointing you, here's, here's a way to seek God. Let him show you what's true about your sin, that you might turn from it and experience his refreshing. You know, God is on the move. We don't want to, we don't want to miss anything that God is doing. Will you seek God with us uh, this season leading up to Easter? Uh, God has so much for us. God is so good to us. And so experience everything he has for you. Again, Wednesday, there's a, the, the venue will be open for worship from early in the morning till the middle of the afternoon. Two Fridays from now, we're having a, a worship night where we pour out our praises to God. Please join us for that. Heavenly Father, we ask that in this season that we would seek you with all our hearts. We pray, God, for those in our, our midst here today who don't yet know you, who are, are contemplating their own sinfulness, their own rebellion. God, give them this, this joyful sorrow about what they've done and, and uh, this sorrow that, that uh, can be turned into joy. And just give them this freedom to admit it to you and to turn from it and turn to you in faith. God, we know that you want to forgive their sins and blot out their sins, and you want to give them times of refreshing. And God, we pray for all of us that, that we might seek you and find you, and find you to be good, find you to be uh, great. And so, God, during this season, be gracious to us. Do your, do your work in our midst. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. He who was before there was light walked across the pages of time. He who made every living thing, behold him. He who heard humanity's cry, left his throne to wake as a child. He became like the least of behold him. Jesus, Son of God. Messiah, the Lamb.
healed the blind, the lost, and the lame. Even now he is in our midst. Behold him. He who chose a criminal's end, pain with blood to settle our death, buried death as he rose to If you are, um, before we leave here today, just want to remind you, if you're new with us today and new to our church, we would love to meet you after the service today. And so if you just take a, outside of the worship center doors, take a left down to the commons area, a couple of our pastors will be there. We'd love to know that you're here, learn more about you and answer any questions that you might have. 
And so as an act of worship, I want to lead us in this prayer. It reminds us why we give. And so let's pray this out loud together today. Giving God, just as we love because you first loved us, we give because you first gave to us. Out of gratitude, we bring gifts of money to be used for your kingdom work. And with these gifts, we also pledge to you our whole selves. We give you our bodies as living temples. May we be your hands and feet. We give you our minds. May our thoughts support others and glorify you. We give you our time. May our presence encourage others. We give you our relationships. May our interactions be a light to the world. We give you our work. May we always strive to do our best and help others do theirs. We give you our play. May our leisure bring joy to many. We give you our hopes and our dreams. May our goals reflect your mission. Use these gifts, great God, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass.
help us not pretend it's easy we're just fine and so happy this is why we're here we're all hurting we're trying we're needy if we're gonna pray sing preach through it all we God brought you through the desert. He carried you everywhere you went, just as a father 
carries his son. Been walking for a while. My feet are getting tired. My heart's a little heavy. But you keep me going. Been walking for a while. Mile after mile. My soul's a little weary. But you keep me going.
Good morning. Isn't this a great way to start the week, coming together, fellowshipping together? It is so good to see each and every one of you here on this Sunday morning. If this is the uh, first time that you are joining us and you've not taken the opportunity to fill out that connection card, there are connection cards in front of you. We'd really like to know that you're here. You can fill those out, then you might go, okay, Karen, I've filled it out, what do I do with it? Well, there are black boxes at the back as you uh, leave the, this room. You can drop those in there. You can give us your name, your email address, prayer concerns that uh, we can pray for you for. Also, um, you know, Take 5 is a candy bar, but I don't want to talk about candy bars right now. I want to talk about taking five minutes after this service. If you're new to faith, today we're going to take five minutes as you leave today, you can go down, take a left, go down to the commons area. The five minutes will have um, some of our pastors, some of our elders there that they would like to meet you. You would like to meet them to be able to have five minutes for quick conversation. It's a great opportunity for us to get a little bit more uh, connected here in our fellowship. Also, if you're curious about church membership here at, at Faith, why it matters, why you might want to consider being a, a member, we're going to have a class next Sunday, February 26th, at, from 2 to 5 here at the church. Uh, Pastor Steve and Pastor Brian will be leading that class. That's their opportunity to ask questions, what we stand for, what we believe, and why. So if you're considering membership, we encourage you to uh, mark that on your calendar for next Sunday from 2 to 5. Also, uh, next month, on Sunday, the March, March 19th, we will be having a child dedication and infant baptism service. And so we've had some new additions to our church family, and so if you are one of those families that have been blessed with a new addition, we encourage you to sign up um, so that we can include you. And then our charge as a fellowship is to pray for those, those families that have added new little ones uh, into their homes because that probably means they're not getting quite as much sleep as what they have been used to. So um, mark that on your calendar because we certainly want you to be a per participating in that on March the 19th. Also in two weeks on Friday, March the 3rd, we're going to have a night of worship that we will be singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs uh, right here from 7 to 8. There will be ch child care provided for those little ones up to pre-K, but what a wonderful night to come and just sing praises uh, to our Lord and Savior. So put that on your calendar as well. 
And if your calendar has gone as fast as my calendar, this Wednesday we begin Lent. And so we are going to be having uh, Lenten services in the venue, which is down to the north part of our, of our fellowship, on Wednesday. So there will be three. These are going to be 30-minute uh, services, and they, there will be one at 6.30, from 6.30 to 7 in the morning. So if you're an early bird, that's a great time for you to come. Um, from 10.45 to 11.15, or 12.15 to 12.45. The venue will also be open from 6.30 to 3 p.m. on that day that you can come for quiet prayer and just seeking the Lord during this time. During those 30-minute services that we'll be having, we'll be focusing on confessing our sins, seeking God, hearing scripture, and worshiping through song. Our prayer is that this time will, will really set the tone for us all during the Lenten season that we can seek God through this time. And please note, child care will not be available during those Lenten services if you choose to come participate. Now, I am sure that you probably didn't have the opportunity to meet everyone as you came in to worship today. So now we're going to encourage you to stand up, greet one another, and uh, enjoy one another's fellowship.
free. Your mercy runs to find the helpless and the weak. When we call out to you, you hear our cries. And all our needs, your gracious hand Boldly 
sing here in a moment, a classic hymn of the faith, uh, Come Thou Fount, and um, there's a line in that song that just every single time that we sing it, it does something in my heart. Um, It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love. And I just think about my own life and just how convicting that is for me. I love the Lord. I love God. Yet so often in my sin, I'm just habitually prone to leave the God that I love and try to do life without him. And uh, God's grace, his Holy Spirit convicts me of those things in those moments and um, just helps me see that. Because Logan, that, that anxiety that you're feeling, that's life without me. You're trying to do life without me. And uh, in those moments, I just have to confess that to the Lord. And I have to repent often for this. And so I just want to give you a moment to just think and pray on your own. What are the areas of your life where you are prone to wander? What are the areas of your life where you are prone to leave the God that you love? Big or small, just what are those areas? And as we just sang... Um, 
the door is open for us because of the cross so we can actually come before the Lord with confidence today. We can come clean before him and just be honest. And because of Jesus, he receives us. And so I want to give you a minute, think and pray about those areas of your life and just confess that to him now. And then I'll read a passage of scripture for us. a passage from Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 22. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. We can draw near to God with sincere hearts because of what Jesus has done for us. We have children Bibles that we read for our kids. It puts it this way, stop running from God and run to him instead. And every time I read that, I'm just like, yes, that's what I need. I need to run to God. Stop running from him, run to him instead. He is wanting us to do that. So Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to come to you today with honest hearts. And uh, we just, um, we need you greatly.